We're live, folks. Oh, so great. I asked Kevin's daughter uh, who her favorite singer was. She goes, uh, whoever sings uh, Old Town Road. Yeah. Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X, <laughs> which I finally went off and listened to that song, and I don't get it. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't have enough time to fix that. I, I, right. No, but okay. I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Okay. If we're going to talk about this, I have a few things I want to talk about. So last week, it became the longest-running number one right. sing. That's why For I did a couple it. of different reasons on Billboard. And I heard, I was listening to NPR, and I heard a little excerpt from the song, and I was like, hmm. So I told Skylar when I got my wife, when I got home that night, and, and I was like, so this song, blah, 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 and they played a little clip. She goes, oh, yeah, every word is etched into my brain, and every word is etched into all my kids' brains. And I was like, interesting that you said that. That's the first time I had ever even heard one note from that song. Right. I, I don't, I don't traffic in those circles or whatever and so I, 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 I had to go look for it but i mean but but think about it this way like you know for me i guess just because like when you go to the mall or t- not that we go to malls but you know when you go to grocery stores or whatever the music now is so diverse you're not listening to like top 40 stuff as much as you used to because there were mariah carey songs from 1993 that i knew every word to but i never spent any time getting to know right but little nas x <laughs> I didn't to me it just sounded like fucking Uncle Cracker or fucking Kid yes. Rock or something. So, yeah. Except he's gay and well, black. Well, no, and so this is, I read an article about him at the same time, and he said, just think, a year, uh, this time a year ago, I was broke, sleeping on my sister's couch, and now I'm gay. <laughs> 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 I didn't that how I thought I was going to, but that was great. Uh, you got it. Timing is important. Uh, there's a yeah. lot, lot yeah. to love about Love Nas X. Let's get into this thing. I'm Shane. I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. I'm Kevin. Somebody likes it. Okay, so as I, as I was just telling the fellas off, uh, Outside the broadcast, you were like alluding to something off the broadcast. I was, I was alluding to something, but I mean, like they're they're honest. Like, there's a lot going on in music. Like just in the last several hours, um, it's been announced that um, David Berman, the lead singer of the Silver Jews, died today. What? Whoa. Yeah, he, he just, just like just put out he a record just put like out a new record a month ago. Yeah, he will not be touring in support of it. Uh, wow. But yeah, he he passed on. Did not see that coming. Do, they do we know how? Um, I don't know how. Like, it literally just broke, like, within the past hour or so. So I'm sure the details will be forthcoming. He was 52, obviously, like. Too young you to would, You would think that he would still have some, yeah. have a few spins left. But uh, but anyway, sorry to hear that. And then, um, and then the, and neither of these is the thing I was going to talk about it. But the uh, co-creator of the Village People died today. Hmm. Were they put together by uh, like Henry a Spengali or, or was Henri it one of the dudes? Belotto. Was he the construction worker? No, he just looked, he looked honestly. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good, I like that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Shane. <laughs> constructed them? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I he, got that. Was, was he the cop? <laughs> I see where all this conversation's going. We're just never going to get to it. No, it's like, and I honestly don't know. I haven't, uh, sadly, I've only read the headline, but, but. There's a f- accompanying photo, and he just looks like a guy just hanging out at Studio 54, which is, you know. I'll, I'll That's pretty much what they were, wasn't uh, it? Uh, it would seem. I'll, I'll bet that group spent some time there. Yeah, a little. Or at least partaking in the um, 
the excesses the of the excesses. late 70s, sure. 70s. Yeah. Um, You know, I would like to think that if, if there is a heaven somewhere, that it's sort of defined by people like David Berman and that dude from the village people. Would they hang out in the same part of heaven? I would feel like the village people guy. No, but like that's a what heaven is. It brings everybody together. It's a diverse place. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. I mean, it's not. It's, it wasn't presented to me that way, but you know. <laughs> But I, I, choose I once to heard look a at it joke way, about though. like uh, rock and roll heaven, but the, in the punchline was like, "Oh no, that's that's not Bono. That's God. He just thinks he's Bono." Yeah. Oh, I have heard that joke. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I was around in the nineties. You yeah. can always tell the I difference think, by the sunglasses. I think telling that joke the way you did was the best way to tell that joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> stomach doing the whole thing. Yada yada Kevin, yada. Kevin was God getting to something, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's a there's a comedian who uh, who's a writer on several shows who's been writing who's been tweeting these like once a day tweets about working on the new season of comedians in cars getting coffee and it took me a couple of days to sort of figure out that this was a send-up but basically it was like it would be like he'd tweet out you know jerry came in today and said how many of you have read haven't read uh steve martin's born standing up several times and he's like, if you raise your hand, just go ahead and get up because you're fired. <laughs> like, anyway, it's uh, it is, it is dark, and uh, full of lots of like kind of insider. Um, it's if you like to see how comedic sausage is getting made, like which I kind of sometimes do. It's really funny. But anyway, I was looking at this guy's timeline because I was like, I was like, this is it's sort of absurd, like almost an art form, and. Um, he said he, w- he had just seen Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium, and um, Paul, at some point... Taking in a game? Yes, just taking in a game, because you know he's a massive American baseball fan, of course. <laughs> Who knows uh, what that guy... Anyway, but at some point, he like points out into the crowd, and he says uh, something like, some guy just held up a sign that said, Paul, will you sign my butt? And... Uh, and then Paul says no, and he laughs, and the crowd laughs. And this guy said, I also saw him when he was here in at Dodger Stadium in 2014, and I'm pretty sure the same thing happened. And so he was like, apparently, Paul McCartney is probably going to every show that he does and then saying that there's some guy in the crowd who's got a it's sign like up. It's like a recurring says, bit. It's like a recurring bit. But he said it would be better if it was somebody who was going to every Paul McCartney show, He's just, just, on a mission. just trying to get his butt signed. Sign the man's butt. Yeah. <laughs> just, just do it. Come on, yeah. Paul. Come on, Paul. Come on, yeah. One butt. So, anyway, I feel like there's a lot of good shit, none of it landed. I don't care. Screw you guys. This will, this will, huh. you, know, you know, if you can't, if you can't. Uh, I enjoyed the journey, Kevin. If you can't smirk, smirk at a good butt signing. Yeah. What can you? I think. I think we all can. Yeah, I was yeah. over here smirking. I'm just anyway. sad for the guy because he couldn't get his butt signed like two Dodger Stadium. No, I mean McCartney. Re- realistically, you know, if you were like a Make a Wish kid, could that be your wish? That would be a low bar. That's a great <laughs> wish, by the way. <laughs> Why would you like, son? Like, like just she I would please suck and Paul McCartney just sign my butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but the my like I like my, how he turned into Oliver Twist. I know exactly. It's like why is that <laughs> Dickensian bum? Would it like <laughs> right, right? You're Sign right. Me bum. I stand corrected. But the th- yeah, the thing I was trying to figure out was like okay, so realistically, if it is like just it's got to be just like this Paul McCartney gag that he thinks it's funny. Like, what was the vetting period for that? Like, what was the 
what were the other choices? So <laughs> you think yeah. he tried it out in clubs? <clears throat> you know, <laughs> see <if it> went, <laughs> went over, but <laughs> <Went, laughs> went out there Sorry. like like the comedy store. Like you it, know, or, like a midnight, or the troubadour, or something. Yeah, you know? to see which, uh, which of them works. Workshop it. Yeah. His his one butt joke, and that's the and only the, one that ever caught fire. So he's been using it for a while. This one used to really land at the cavern. He had to play a full. Yeah, you had to play a bunch of skiffle around. We're it. really good at at, at various British accents, by the way. Constructing that shit. So so Shane tonight, uh, our record was yours. I mean, Miles your Davis, record. kind yes. of blue. Yes. Yeah. So Which is sort of violating the spirit of our show because I'm pretty sure Kevin knows it a lot. Oh, sure, but I mean, the I think the way that I view our premise, it's probably worth mentioning it's, out it's loud to all framework. of our our, our new uh, Tokyo listeners. <laughs> is that uh, is our nude Tokyo? <laughs> 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 yeah. I thought I thought he did too. But they can dress however they want to dress. That's all I'm saying. No, uh, no. If you're if you're not intimately familiar with the show, or if this is you know if you're binging. Because that happens. The idea is that we pick a record that, like, if every act is every is someone's favorite act, we pick a record that that perhaps we don't know that well. But I don't think that that's universal. I don't think we all don't have to know it at all. Like, there are plenty of things that we cover that, that you know. know Shane's got a road degree. trip story from 1987. Some of us knew like, more than others. I yeah. would also say that um, just from speaking with Kevin in the car on the way here, even though he may have been somewhat familiar with this album, he learned a lot in, in right. We're I did some nutty more, research. We're doing yeah. some more more of a deep dive. There's a lot to unpack about this record. Sure. Well, and, and I, some of it I don't want to unpack. Sure. Well, and I and I do think that you probably would offer this caveat up anyway. But it's like this will not be. So if you are uh, welcome, jazz friends, if you have if you've somehow managed to stumble into our podcast and are looking for a uh, hyper... Comprehensive jazz compendium right. of <laughs> podcasts. Right. You know, with, uh, like, this will probably not be that, but, um, you know, we've we've covered other stuff. We've And we've covered other stuff, in, we the, have in, the, covered in, other stuff. in the jazz canon, and I, I feel like we've done pretty well. So. <laughs> anyway, no. There, but there, uh, like, I did go down the rabbit hole in a bunch of crazy uh, uh, directions, with regard to this album, and um, I think the one thing that seems to be pretty universal is that that it remains like it remains a force. It's it has sold over four million records. That was as yeah, of a few so, years there's ago. There's a lot of like, universal praise for this thing. Yep. Yeah. So before we get into the three of us, I don't know that I don't know how you feel about this record at all. I fucking love it. Loved it. But I'm pretty sure somebody didn't. Well, okay. For the same complaints that m- he makes on it's well, right when we did uh, Dave Brubeck, like I don't want to just repeat myself, but like it's not that I dislike jazz. Uh, I like jazz about as much as I like string theory or quantum physics in general. But like it exists, and I know something about it. I think I've seen a documentary on string theory, but like I'm not going to read a book about it. I'm giving you the two easiest to listen to, even though there 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 are complicated things going on behind the scenes. If I, I like I like the Brubeck one better than this one, uh, to be perfectly honest. But uh, that also is oh, that's like, be, yeah, they're both you know, classic white records. guys. So like, I mean, yeah. of course you did. So. Maybe that's it. Oh. <laughs> it makes uh, my butt move in a special white guy way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm terrible. I know that's not what you meant. But it's true. I think the piano player in, on this record was white. Well, there's a couple, so. Yeah. yeah. There were a couple. 
And uh, one of them was. Yeah. Yeah, there were t- there were two piano players. One of them got booted off. I did a little research too. Yeah, uh, and then but the guy that replaced him who played on most of the tracks. Well, here, so here's here's one thought. Okay, so so specific to specific to this record and your you know stated position on jazz. I didn't go into like I rarely go into these things with a comprehensive idea on how each of you are going to synthesize it because I've just learned over time that's like you know might as well just throw darts some days. But tendencies matter, and so I thought I wondered if you would dismiss it out of hand because it's jazz, or or because of the type of, essentially because of the modal play here. If this, or if it might be something that was easier to digest for somebody who needs structure. Well, I think the modal play makes more sense for somebody like Ryan, just because that's we're, what we're, I mean. We're, yeah, we're purely we're we're not doing something like Bop, or we're we're, we're it, you right. know we are like I'm part of it. They're not fighting the with each other. We're, we're not listening to improvisation, um, uh, uh, you know, around keys and then just getting in that thing. There's, it's a really complex and incredibly interesting, and quite frankly, I didn't entirely understand the concept. I don't modal, either, dude. Uh, I kind of do, but we can talk about. Th- I think the the best it was way like, it was I, like I, a new form of theory that's unique to jazz. Well, no, exist. I mean modes are modes are modes are way or scales in the in right. the, like pre like we have the the western and the you would operate within this certain scale for your the way that parts. I read it. And Shane, correct me if you didn't take it this way, but like, but the way that my understanding was. That right within the idea of a scale, that uh, that a m- essentially a modal take on that is that the is that the scales essentially bring a little bit more melody to the party than a than a straight rendering of scales would otherwise. It's that was that's that's a lot what of what's going. On. It's so complicated. It's really complicated. So look at it like this. So in in Western music we have like. We have scales that we use the in the, the most common like and these are chordal bays or not chordal bays but we use like say for example we have a major scale and a minor scale everybody knows that so if I'm playing like in E major there are certain sets of chords that correspond into that chord like the way that that scale is. So well, and like, like on French horn, if I was playing, you know, a C scale, like there are certain notes that you hit up and down that C scale. Right. Those are the ones. Right. And so this, these pre, these modes incorporate these scales. We also have like pentatonic scale, which is the blues. Like uh, my girl is pentatonic. Boom, 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 boom. That's the pentatonic scale from mm-hmm. start to finish. Um, in any key, and you can extrapolate that to whatever key you want to do with that, the key being the, the chord that you start with. These... This is starting to sound like a jazz podcast. I know, I know, it's so crazy, <laughs> and I still don't even understand all of it. The modes are like predate, like, we'll just look at it, they, they, they pre, like there's, you know, they're Dorian, uh, Mixolydian, I think, uh, there are a, a lot of, I think they're, n- anyway, I'm not going to... Uh, Without go there get a lot, there's a getting into so, the weeds. So basically, like. yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. And, 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 and after we listen to the first song, I'll go up. The, I found the best summation of what he was trying to do. And it's still a little obtuse. Um, and I play music for a living. Um, and it's still like, well, I didn't sign up for math class. You know, but... Uh, a lot but of this theory is pretty dense, though, man. It's super dense. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I have the best example. And after we listen to the first song, I'll, I'll read it back to you. It'll be a great way. It'll make it'll make more sense um, once you've listened to it. And you be so basically, 
what he was saying, rather than just put chords out there and you solo over the chords, and which tend to be like 32 bar, 32, 64. In, 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 in like if you solo, like if you're like, take the solo, you, you do, get, this you, do many you get 32 bars. bars. Yeah. And, and you, you know, for the next guy. Or, or like, you know, everybody knows you're going to go one more. Or it's, it's like that. Um, this is a whole different idea. Super complex. But, but it's amazing to me how easy it is to listen to it. It's and it seems like part of, like it is it is complex. It's rendered in a complex way by by a bunch of like frankly all time Hall of Fame type musicians. Who all, all time Hall of Fame. All Every at the person. top. Yeah, of like their Coltrane's yeah. on this record. Yes. Yeah. Like, and he was one of two great people in his section. Yeah. Like like yeah. the other Can, one's Cannonball. Cannonball Holy shit! Who like, I think is a better sax. I mean, as somebody who doesn't really I mean, know but that's, different, that's, yeah, that's, but as somebody who doesn't well, really know dick about jazz, like Miles Davis and, and John Coltrane are like two of the giants that I know are giant steps. Like, ah, mm, mm, mm. See what you did there? That just makes me think of Boo Radley's. All right. Well, that's also some Coltrane. Okay. So, yeah. Well, there you go. It's also a Boo Radley's record. I know. I'm yeah. well aware of that. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. There's there's a ton to unpack, and basically the way that. Like the way that I read and listened to a lot of the the conversations about this record, where that, you know, essentially that like the structure itself, like first of all, I like I honestly believe that there are there are some overall the the way that this record is delivered in some ways is a response to bebop because oh, it is it's yeah, spare sure. it's super spare especially Miles Davis is super spare and apparently when he first was coming up in the clubs in New York he was trying to play. As fast as Everybody Dizzy Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie, and like some of the other guys. So, um, so anyway, the you know the the gist of it is that there is there's a lot of like, you know, like I listen to. So it's we'll get into this after we play a song. But like one of the things that that I listened to was about an hour long interview that was done about ten years ago on a Playboy jazz cruise with the session player who played with Miles Davis late in his life, and they talked a lot about Miles, uh, like, kind of blue. And um, anyway, we're coming up on the 60th anniversary, like, in less than two weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. What do you want to What do you want to flip? Let's uh, – I mean, we got to listen to So Wild. Yeah. Yeah, so let's do that. All right. I think one of the coolest things about what he did on this record, um, and to some degree, other stuff that he did, um, moving away from that really, really, really technical, chaotic, 
bebop stuff that you definitely don't like um where it's well, just okay, like it was like bebop and then he moved to hard bop which yeah, I don't but know hard, the difference hard bop but. doesn't hard bop doesn't mean any it's just a different kind of bebop it's like incorporating like the blues a little bit more but from what i understand that's what he moved from to this yeah yeah but yeah, but uh, maybe I'm splitting yes. hairs. No, 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 not really. But yes, also. I mean, really. I think jazz historians split hairs way more than the I, average I listener would. Then, then we're gonna. Of. But I, yeah. but I do think that, like, you know, along the lines of what we were saying before the before the cut, like, yeah, like there intentionally is space between um, the notes. Well, in, he wants in, to in concentrate rendered. on on melody more, right? Not to. Sorry to yeah, talk no, over you. No, no. And so there, you we lost. You know when you when you got to um, when you got to a point where it's sort of like, in his mind, I think at that point, and jazz really changes after this. It's either you're going to go for the melody or you're just going to just play notes. And 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 in some ways, I think that that's a parallel with with jam bands. Don't get me wrong. I am not comparing jam bands with. With jazz Most musicians. jam bands are but highly jazz influenced. No, they're not. A lot of them are. Okay. Some are. Well, Some are. Okay. Well, sure. I guess they're jazz influenced, but they're not good enough to be jazz musicians. Let's just say that anybody can play into key. No, not a, a lot of people can improvise motifs. So it's a, we're talking about two totally different things. But uh, you, you know, I could be like, anyway, what he's putting the onus back on melody through this modal. Composition. So I wanted to read this because it's so fucking complicated in a lot of ways. I mean, again, like it's just complicated regardless. And here's what Wikipedia says. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph because I feel like this is like the easiest, best, most succinct way of explaining this stuff. It says kind of blue is based entirely on modality. Um, in contrast to Davis's earlier work with a hard bop style of jazz and its complex chord progression and improvisation, the entire album, Kind of Blue, as a series of modal sketches in which each performer was given a set of scales that defined the parameters of their improvisation and style. This style was in contrast to the more typical means of composing, such as providing musicians with a complete score or was more common for improv jazz, providing the musicians with a chord progression or series of harmonies. So basically what he was doing, um, when you just have a scale, like you're writing a melody and you're encouraging, you're giving each, he was giving each musician a set of what his melodies were and they all worked together in concert and then you could improv within that, but you couldn't really step outside the melody, not like in a way that you could around a chord. Like look at a chord as like a five point or you know whatever, 12 point, you know, square. Shane's drawing things with his hands in the yeah, air. Sorry. And you could just play all around that three dimensional square. Well, this is more two dimensional, but you it put the onus back on the melody rather than put the onus on where you could throw darts at the wall as quickly so as you is, could. So is there any base on this? Like, yeah, not, yeah, not, not base, base, not stand up base. I mean, mm. like, is there is there a, a, a platform upon which all of this rides or is everybody in? Yeah. So is e everybody orchestrating their own? No, each, each musician, what he would do is he would write out what their chordal, what, I mean, not chordal, uh, what, their, what their scales were, yeah. and the sheet music was given through that way to the musicians. So, like, for example, um, uh, like what Flamenco sketches, and this is Wikipedia as well, consists of five scales. 
Um, so it which are each played as long as the soloist wishes until he completes the series of five. So you can hear it at a couple of different places on this, where for a second there will be like a like a like a two or three B when one of the soloists stops before the other one realizes they stopped or he's communicated to them I've stopped. Then they take it over. But everybody but it's but they everybody else plays within the overarching scale. And yeah. and it's like math class. To but the, the, but, the but the drummer, it sounds so accessible. The, the drummer and the stand at bass, they're they're playing it's off a, of off of a it's a, no they all music, have, or they, yeah, they all are. Yeah. Yeah, and to that to that end, like he had been Miles Davis had been thinking about these kinds of things for a while, leading up to the to these sessions, and he said, like it sounds like uh, that that at one point, about a year before the recording, he slipped Bill Evans a piece of paper on which he'd written the musical symbols for G minor and A augmented, and he said, "See what you can do with this." <laughs> And then Evans oh, went on to like thing. to create a like a cycle of chords as a meditative framework for the solos well, and what became blue and green. That's actually a, a gr I'm so glad you presented that because that's a great way to so those are tent poles within the scale, right? And then you build the scale, which is in effect the melody, which is why it sounds both simple and complicated at the same time. That's why it's so accessible, but at the same time, jazz nerds can still love love on it hard. Well, I mean, look at it like this. Like, it's like it, like, you know, if you say like major, like a major scale or, you know, those are, those are, you know, or a chromatic, which, oh, that gets into even weirder stuff. But, you know, those, you know, like that's, you know. Um, well, chromatic's all the notes. Like. Right. Yeah. I don't know if everybody knows that. Uh, yes. Well. But you can, anyway. Let's yes. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so rather than play, like if you have, you know, you're creating different scales based on modes that will allow you to, like, say, start with an E. Anyway, it's it's gonna get to math class. Couple of things that I think are are this is this is just as good a time as any to bring up. One, the reason that Miles Davis' voice sounded the way that he did was that he had vocal surgery. He had polyps. Yeah. He had vocal surgery. How did he have polyps? Well, okay, so he, I don't know how he got them. I don't know if he. Are you? I don't recall him being a singer, really. But, uh, but you know how he fucked up as Kevin was getting to this. He had surgery, and the the doctor told him don't talk, and then he got pissed off, and he he talked loudly. Sounds like Miles Davis. Yeah. So anyway, that's the second half of my story. Sorry. So, <laughs> if there's anything else you want to get out there. Um, anyway, the, yeah, so there's that. And then the other thing that I thought was particularly interesting, especially when you start to think about these, like, because he would talk openly about the complexities of the music that he was playing and he would speak like he would, he didn't dumb it down for regular audiences. Like he would just talk to, like he was, he Man would put was it very much there. a music nerd. He was very much a music nerd, but, but and very much an asshole, but motherfucker could not operate a cassette tape player. So uh, yeah, so one of the one of the stories that um, that Marcus Miller, this session player that played with him in the '80s and and knew him for really the last you know ten or so years of his life, was that he he'd been working on this this composition and he gave it to Miles. He's like, "Will you listen to it?" And anyway, apparently Miles hit the record button and just <laughs> left it running. It. And he's like, "Where's the where's the music at?" And the guy's like. You didn't hear any of it? He's like, no, it's just like me talking to my old lady or whatever. So <laughs> anyway, 
Um, but yeah, he was he was apparently befuddled by because the question was asked during this interview, like, "What do you think Miles would have thought about us playing stuff back on an iPod?" And he was like, "He couldn't work a cassette player." <laughs> so Damn. anyway, it just goes to show you that it's like we're wired the way that we're wired, and his area like. He was so brilliant in that way, and he just well, cared his, about the shit that he cared about. his mother was a musician, right? But his dad was a dentist, I believe. Something like that. Uh, anyway, yeah, he got it from somewhere. Yeah. Um, but you don't see a lot of legendary jazz musicians come from a, a dental background. No, but he was always... Um, but, but Not a was, lot. You know, but it was a very different... Yeah, every so often. It, 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 it does offer, you know, in jazz circles, it does offer a contrast to like... And this is just... I'm clearly cherry picking here but like louis armstrong like had a bumpy childhood yeah, the hard scrabble life yeah coming up yeah um no his family was a Billy holiday like, yeah. sure sure yeah and like Not no even excluding the drug thing like well and miles davis like, did plenty of drugs right but yeah but he was uh he was you know they were his folks did fine yeah so another one of those deals um, do we want to roll another one? Yeah, let's do another one. Okay. You know, I want to do Blue and Green. That's my... That's the that's, that's the where I started to kind of come around on the record, believe it or you not. You know what? That's the reason why I wanted to play it, because I was almost... I was bank, kind of banking on it. I was... I, I mean, I think this is the I record... I can't believe you didn't like the first three songs on this album. I totally thought the first side... Here's the deal. You I, would really come around to. With me and jazz, it's just how my brain is wired. Like, I don't know where it's going. And like in songs, yeah, but this record, I, but this record, you kind of do. It's based on maybe the more so. And it, it, they are. I do like the rhythm section, like kind of anchoring it down a little bit, and it does have some structure to it. Um, you it's know. much more structured. It's much more melodically based. I, I was, <coughs> excuse me, I was pretty sure you weren't gonna like it, but I was like, if I, I I'm, I'm listening to, I've listened to it several times. <coughs> I was like, if I can bet on this. Ryan's really not gonna like the second to the last song on this record, but the other ones I think he's he might come around a little bit too. That one, that's the closest that gets uh, to Bob. Blue and green was where like my body like untensed, and I was like, okay. But not even so what? I mean, so what is so like? I don't know. Well, um, and I and I do think that this is a str- this is a function of the melodies. But one of the things that I find, and it's difficult. I'm not gonna do it terrific job shockingly of articulating this but um but one of the things that i think with some of those other jazz styles ryan that we've been talking about like specific the specifically like bop and bebop and hard bop is that they are they come across as like combative and they kind of like step random. on each other a little bit and they yeah and, and, well, and certainly there are elements of that here they're they're structured like conversations like and what you, a great way to put that like that's the way that that's the way that the, the musician the musician who i heard talk about this at length most recently um that's how he structured it was that like and he talked about the personality of each one of the players and the sort of like positioning in their head where it's like miles had sort of said everything so he intentionally would play certain parts of songs super spare whereas coltrane had was like right at this creative peak where he had so much to get out, so he crammed all of his sections through stuff. Yeah, and you can Cannonball definitely tell when it's Coltrane on this. You can, yeah. and then Cannonball, Cannonball would be like somewhere in the middle, and so what ends up happening is you get this like kind of constant changing of pace that is also pretty interesting to the listener because it's tethered to the same idea, so the same tempos. Anyway, um, let's do it. Let's do Blue and Green.
that's just a straight up good fucking song. And like it occurred to me, like I love um, light brushes on snares. And yeah. that has like a really great delicate one to where I was like, I wish it was raining right now because it, it kind of has yeah, that it's effect. It's almost like a tape hiss or just a, a gentle rain outside. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. And it just it's a, just a great fucking mood song. One of these days I'm going to bring some some good early 60s bossa nova in here like and you can as similar similar kind of rainy day stuff like you know how much i love that shit yeah like, there's there's actually one of these days in the middle section not gonna be today because i don't think i have it but uh i'm gonna play a song that they play over the intercom at my tex-mex restaurant that is it a, in spanish but i just fucking love it because it has all these great harmonies but like i don't typically like stuff that's not in english like so this this not song, for racist reasons. You don't understand. <laughs> well, Look, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> what's that Canadian band? Charlie uh, Brown. I don't know what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Brought uh, him in one time. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, this uh, so blue and green. I've told this story a couple of times on this show. So, but it's like it would kind of be. I feel like I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't mention that this is the song that uh, that they took out of the jukebox player at my favorite bar in West Texas when I would play it yeah, late at was night. Making the staff sleep. Yeah, they were like, they were. I was like, I was like, so pun intended, I guess, jazz that they had this on the jukebox, and I was like, we'd have a few beers, and I'd sit in there, and it's like almost time to go home, and yeah, I was, I was a like, perfect song for that period. So, of time. And it just put me in the best, like, like a kind of ready to go lay down, take a nap. Uh, but also, like, just, well, just it's, a, it's a super it mellow song, but really put me happy. To sleep. Is right. It's like, like not in a, though. not in a, like, not in a. It's not a dirge, but like, but like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> my Irish guy Irish with like, sh- like bagpipes in the background. Yeah, yeah. That's how it really. Yeah. But anyway, a missing I just, ingredient. Just came in there one day, and then it was not there, and they said that everybody was sleepy because some jackass well, came and played this song a lot all the time this week. Listen to this shit, but like. Uh, that that song didn't make me sleepy. It just kind of made me mellow and happy. Well, and that was, you know, uh, clearly from years ago. Did you eat one of these gummy bears, but it had an edible in it? Uh, no. Ryan has, a like, a paper towel full of gummy bears in I front do. of them. With yeah. uh, Cheez-It stains There's a on it as well. <laughs> I <laughs> see a that hipster now. t-shirt idea. Cheez-It stains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, who has the middle today? I have the middle today. What, uh, what hath you wrought? Well... Let's talk about that after some theme music. Okay. Middle music. All right. Here we go. It's just, it's really funny. I have to, I have to bring it up before we get into the intermission because now we're all sort of communicating in in jazz mode. <laughs> Even Ryan, that's right. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so I spent some time last weekend on uh, one of these uh, listicles around uh, best videos, like so far, type of thing. Sure. And uh, I had forgotten about this one. I had forgotten about this song. I like the video. I like the song. So we're going to listen to um, we're going to listen to Blur, Coffee and TV.
once. Mark kills it with videos. That was a charming little video. It was um, great. Mark, do, you re- do you remember the song? At I all? do remember the song. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I totally. didn't know it, but it's a good song. It was on the record Blur, right? Ale- no, it was on Thirteen, which was oh, their okay. sixth. That was album. Okay. So Came I remember nineteen ninety nine. When I heard it, I was yeah. That was the one with there's there's later choruses on it. Yeah, it was the one after Blur. But like essentially like the adventures of a little Milky. Yeah, his little name Milky. is Milky. Really? Was that yeah. his name? Yeah, his oh, name is Milky. Look at, look at the big brain on Ryan. Boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you, what a great fucking man. <laughs> you know, the whole time I'm listening to that song, I'm like, I love this music. Yeah, yeah. well, it's Britpop. You're a bit of a, you know, uh, right, but it's, Anglophile. It's, it's different, like, and also better Oh, I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. I don't want to get involved in that right now. But um, just good stuff. Like great band. I mean, every person, yeah. every person that like they were a band band. You know, like Graham Cox and st- like all of the, you know, like the guitar playing, the songwriting, the singing, the bass playing, the drumming are all from very distinctive players that work cohesively as a unit. That is a good way to put that. Yeah, they each have their own unique contribution, which the you know is makes up greater than the sum of its parts. No, well, yeah, there's a lot of consistently good music over the course of the years with that fucking band, too. And also Damon Albarn's stuff outside of that band. Like, there's some fun, Gorillas. great... Yeah. Kevin and I watched this weird documentary. Do you remember this, Kevin, where Damon Albarn was wearing, like, a, a Snoopy Cleveland Browns t-shirt, and he was directing an orchestra, and he had, like, a fit in the middle of it, like a temper tantrum? Go on. It was on like Ovation or something on one of these little niche kind of cable channels. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was just the most absurd thing to ever see. Is like see this kind of auteur have this like temper tantrum while wearing a Cleveland Brown Snoopy's T-shirt. Wait, what was his temper tantrum about? <laughs> like the the musicians weren't playing up to par or something. He was for some reason he was directing like a orchestral version of something Blur had done. But anyway, it was just amusing. Uh, and he like had a little. He meltdown. had a little meltdown, and they got it on tape and put it in the documentary. And he was wearing a Snoopy Cleveland well, Brown shirt. To his shirt. credit, he yeah. had to let them do that, so I'm sure, like... Possibly. That just seems a little silly to me. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, so Lil Milky goes on an adventure, has, like, a picture of Graham Coxon on the side. With, right. Uh, yeah, Graham's morose family is, like, mourning his loss or like the fact that he's missing and then i think graham had left right before that to do that solo record i know he I did think he was writing it at the same time apparently according after to this, this record yeah. yeah i think it came out after this record but uh this was one of the songs that he wrote at the same time as that solo. so this was like an allegory to like what was going on in the band uh this is uh it's about his struggle with alcoholism actually um, how he about would Damon Albarns or Graham Coxon's? Graham Coxon's, yeah. About his own struggle, about how like instead of going out drinking, he would uh, just sit in front of the TV, watch TV, and drink co- a cup of coffee. So, I you know I worked with a guy who had gone to art school with Graham Coxon, and uh, apparently, like Graham picked up a big coke habit uh, at some point. And I remember this guy going like, "Oh, Paul Graham with his thousands of pounds and his coke habit." And anyway, that's. <laughs> Basically, a direct quote, <laughs> and his genius musical. Well, yeah, that too. You I know, think there might have been a little hint the guy of that, jealousy in the, in the guy that worked in the what waiting tables. Uh, no, this was actually when I was uh, delivering for that travel agency in like the Driscoll before they 
cleaned it up. Uh, oh, like back in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, this is like 93, 94, something like that. Anyway. Uh, but, yeah, he'd been run, like one of his running buddies in art school. And uh, Anyway, I think there was maybe a hint of jealousy there. But, anyway, excellent song. Even better video. Yeah, yeah. the video was amazing. Fun. Yeah. Mark always has a has his pulse on really fun videos to watch out of fucking nowhere. Mm. Well, you know, I want to make sure I keep my job here. Well, sure. you've done a good job, Mark. Absolutely. Probably better than any of the other three of us combined. So, oh. Let's get back into uh, some jazz. So one of the things that's been uh, talked about a lot about Miles uh, Davis' seminal record, Kind of Blue, which we're talking about tonight, are the liner notes that Bill Evans put together on the backside. Now, I'm not going to read all of them because it's uh, lengthy, but I'll kind of hit a couple of the highlights because I think there are, at least for me as a listener, it was kind of a window into what the mindset of the act was when they sat down for these sessions. And so he starts talking about the fact that there is, uh, in his words, a Japanese visual art in which the artist is forced to be spontaneous. He must paint on a thin stretch parchment, parchment with a special brush and black water paint in such a way that an unnatural or interrupted stroke will destroy the line or break through the parchment. Races, erasures or changes are impossible. These artists must practice a particular discipline that uh, of allowing the idea to express itself in uh, communication with their hands in such a direct way that deliberation cannot interfere. So essentially what he ends up doing is using that as a metaphor for the process of, of jazz improvisation. Um, and he talks about how um, group improvisation is a further challenge. Aside from the weighty technical problem of collective coherent thinking, there is a very human, even social need for sympathy from all members to bend for a common result. So some of that are just the way that music notes work, right? Where there has to be a resolution at the end of a certain period of time. But uh, he says, this most difficult problem, I think, is beautifully met and solved on this recording. So anyway, basically what he goes on to say is that um, that for all of the, and he doesn't go into the whole like, oh, hey, uh, Miles told me to think about these two tent poles for this that ended up becoming this song a year ago. What he says is that really for all intents and purposes, these recordings were by and large fairly spontaneous. And, and when I heard this, bandied about and talked about by this session musician who knew Miles later in life. He was talking about how if you play it r something really good on take one and you really like it as a musician, your tendency, if you guys do a bunch of other takes, is to want to recreate that on take three and four and five. And he says then it ends up sounding Frankenstein-y. So anyway, I think it, there is the true spirit of jazz kind of prevails here in that you know, these are early takes of all of these songs and a bunch of guys at the top of their game. So that's pretty fucking amazing. That guy can write, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously well he was an amazing pianist, but um, uh, yeah. Wow. Well, a lot of times the jazz musicians don't like to write, right? They like to let the notes do the talking for them. But um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk of lyricism and, and lyrical um, when you talk about you know jazz players, and I think there's a I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, it makes sense to me. 
Yeah. No, overall. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, Miles Davis was not an obstinate motherfucker. Yeah, their reputation is kind of a son of a bitch, right? Yeah. He, well, he, he, I mean, he, he kind of, in some ways, beyond his musical talent, built his career on playing with his back to the audience. <laughs> like, Yeah, dude was true. a dick. Yeah, uh, but you know, can I say this one thing? Like, honestly, and I'm a fan of Miles Davis. I like his playing. But there's some parts on this record in particular where the band is so good. I was going to say cooking. Oh, yeah, that, that, that uh, yeah, yeah daddy Yeah, the man was so good and so warm. And then he has this really, and I don't know if he had done this on purpose, but uh, you could hear him in other, he always tends to have, he has a really shrill tone. Um, and it's really noticeable on this record because everything else is so warm. It's almost like, ah, ah, you know, the playing is amazing, and tonality, I won't say it doesn't fit in, but it's a little shrill for me in general. Um, I And I do think that, like, the sax guys get into that a little bit. Not, maybe not since they're Coltrane not Coltrane does a little bit, but not... Well, there's even some Adderley that... Uh, where it's where when they're he, really where going out up, there. W- yeah, yeah where, they, where it's like they each, when they hand over the lead, those guys use the time that they're given really efficiently in this record. Um, but you're right, you know. I mean, I do think that... There are just other ter- trumpet players, I think, tonality that I like a little more. But it gets a little... Sh- but, you know, whatever. Who am I to Do you think that that is... Do you think that is in uh, response at all to, like, sort of where he went with his career in the 60s and the 70s and all that oh crazy... Oh, boy. I cannot shenanigans. stand anything. Oh, Kevin owned Bitches Brew. I, I did. And it's like, I really Bitches wanted Brew. to like it more than I ever did. Yeah, but jazz I fusion, dude. Like fusion. you think I don't get jazz? Like jazz fusion, I actively dis- I, dislike. Yeah. I I I don't dislike it. I'll 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 see your dislike and throw it. I fucking me. hate it. Well, and you know, like and to that point, I fucking hate. It. I didn't listen to Miles Davis for you, thirty like, years. Strap you down, yes. make you listen to Spyro Gyra. I'd rather listen to well, same thing, kind <laughs> of. Yeah. But but I mean, the, to the, to that point, right? It's like for a lot of for a lot of Miles J- Davis fans during his lifetime, it's like every ten or so years he would like completely flip the script on what it was he was playing, and well, there was like a whole towards the end of the sixties, right? And then well, and then he just quit playing for six or seven years, and so he wasn't putting it anything. Was Seventy-five out, to eighty, I think. Is yeah. What so it said. Well, I mean, at, at, for a period of time, anyway. But yeah. um, you know, the point being that there were wholesale changes that he would make to his musical style and he never quit he was never comfortable with the idea that he'd never he wouldn't be pushing the envelope i mean that's great and god god bless him um you know on paper it sounds amazing they weren't but, all my but jam in, either. but in reality, know, yeah. oh god Kinda, it's yeah. ho- it's unlist in my opinion yeah you know where you had like some chaco pastorius type guy with like a 19 string bass just it's like it's like listening by the way um i should I should probably just do my own record, like multi-track do, recording. Do a vocal va- jazz fusion I record? Thi- I ah. think that might be a thing. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm like calling. Boom, 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 boom. I just hate that shit. Yeah, I'll but, produce that for you. You know, and uh, uh, from that, uh, <laughs> now we've got it. Now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> we're, it's side project. We finally have a collaboration. <laughs> I, li- I like the sound of it. And I can get right in the background. Like, <laughs> you can just sell that at the same stand with your ringtones. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Hey. That's how we're doing. That's our career for the Damn straight, right? man. Yeah. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just, you know, and, and that shit begat, like, fucking, in a lot of ways, like, you know, Steel. prog rock and Steely, Steely Dan, Dan, of course. <laughs> 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 and that fucking Jerry Rafferty, like, 
I was listening to on accident when I got here tonight. Well, I don't, I don't know, Shannon. It all just brings me back to Honda scooters. Oh yeah, yeah. Who is the one that showed us that link? I think it was I, Ryan, I, I wasn't it? Shared that. I, 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 somewhere in the dusty corners of my mind, I remembered that Miles Davis. How was did you remember that? I showed that to Allison, and she was like, "What is happening?" Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if it was Miles Davis or the Crypt Keep Keeper uh, in that. Well, clip. I always uh, re- when I was a kid, when Miles Davis, like, what when did I? Ninety two, ninety ninety one, ninety one. Okay, so I was, uh, you know, I was before I'd graduated high school, and I like. And I wasn't really into jazz at the time, but I but J- Miles Davis is one of those guys. When you're in high school and you're hanging out with like a lot of your friends are like fucking you know nerds, including myself. Like some of them are really into jazz, and my friend Chris Blandy was really into jazz, and he and uh, and Miles Davis was you know an important person. And I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, whoa, that guy's scary looking. He w- yeah, he had a little bit of a like uh, Star Trek villain. Kind of uh, that's a great one. Yes, <laughs> yes. He had like a, a, a Klingon to or, yeah. Kling, like, <laughs> but then like so. Can anybody explain? Uh, so I guess Ryan well, I, dug I, up. I remember hearing something about like, oh, this is like a sellout or something. I didn't really know who Miles Davis was at that point, but I really liked Honda scooters at the time. I really wanted one. In fact, our father like took took me to his showroom and then didn't buy me one. Which was just mean. That's mean. Yeah, like the the I think the um, sales guy like kind of talked him out of it because I was like fourteen or fifteen, but like you know you're able to get like a, a moped license at that uh, age in Texas. And anyway, I got close and I didn't get one, but I remember just this weird guy in a commercial, and it's it's odd. So apparently, well, it was part of a, a mid '80s Honda ad campaign. They had ads scary. featuring Devo. Lou Reed, Miles Davis, of course, Grace Jones, and Adam Ant. I just wanted, the, like, at the top of it here, it says, uh, in the mid-1980s, Honda had a, had a series of quite dauntingly and cool musicians hawking their scooters. They had a particularly playful, sexy commercial in which Adam Ant and Grace Jones flirt with each other and then presumably fuck because they are so preposterously vital and attractive. <laughs> <laughs> what a bizarre ad campaign. Somebody got fired. What does he say in it, though? It's, it's like... A- then I'm going to play or something like that. It's uh, so fucking bizarre. It's weird. It's just straight up weird. I'll play first. And I'll tell you about it later. Maybe. I'll play I'll play it first, and I'll tell you about it later. Maybe. Kind of sounds like Miles Davis. Maybe. Yeah. Get me on the right day. I don't know, man. I thought those scooters were the height of cool, uh, which probably shows you how uncool I was at yeah. the time. But yeah, I don't even remember them. But you know, oh, there was like a bunch of the neighborhood kids in our neck of the woods had uh, Honda Sprees, which are these little fifty cc things that they tool around the neighborhood on. Anyway, let's do one more of these. Get into a there are only five tracks on the whole record. Like, yeah, what do you get? What I do you, know. Which one you Would you call this an EP? I mean, no. If it, yeah, if it weren't 55 <laughs> no, minutes, yeah. even though they're... Yeah, yeah. See, I was going to talk about if, this. If E is for extra. <laughs> earlier, I, 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 was, I was just I was betting that you saw that there were only five songs. And no, like, yes! I knew better. And then you're like, oh, shit. I, I knew it was jazz. I, I knew what I was getting into. Did sad trombone? Appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate with the jazz? Yeah. Yeah, let's do, let's do one more of these. Let's do the second song on there. Pretty Freeloader. Okay. That's a little... That's Lucy the one based. with Quentin Kelly on keys. 
That's true. Yeah, yeah. the the non Bill Evans. So yeah, piano. well, which is a little bit more stride. So it's like if you like stride piano, which I do, I'm a Fats Waller nerd. Like this is the this is a little bit of that. That's fun stuff. Let's do. Let's listen to it. playing I, it's, it's hard it's hard it, i think that this is such an accessible record even though it's you know ostensible like if you go back and and like we were, we're struggling to like discuss like the you know the modal composition and stuff like that but yet it it really seems freeing and the emphasis on the melody makes it so approachable in my opinion um i mean that's just that's just this fun is w- this is one of my favorites on the album it's, I don't even like the blues, and this is like bluesy. It's bluesy, and I, I, I don't know, and I like the piano the, the most. Stride piano is like I just yeah. that just I have um, such a soft spot. For I love the beginning of, of it. Like You've got the horns are kind of playing softly, but they're way up front, and that piano is in the back, and it's just adding so much accent to what they're doing. Well, and it's like it's not anything that I've like sort of critically thought about until I started to dig deeper into this album. But the um, a little bit of the uh, apparently. Wynton Kelly had been um, had been the primary piano player with with the act at the time at the time. And there was there's speculation that uh, Miles brought him in to do this song as a like, you know, we're still cool. Yeah, because Bill because he had Bill Evans come in to do the recording um, for all the other stuff, for all the other stuff. But to that point, I would say that like. Bill Evans had, we should say, had played with him prior to right. this record, and then he got fired, and then uh, Kelly, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, you can really, you can tell a difference in the styles, and I think the piano shines a little bit on that track, but but anyway, obviously, like, it's a, they're all great ensembles, like, the, the, the way that the tracks come together on each one of these, it's like, you know, it's like, I heard somebody. Uh, well, it's same the same guy in that Playboy Jazz Cruise, which is just fun to say. I, I, uh, yes, <laughs> like was going on about um, how like how many so like the difference between recording for LP and recording for CD is that like you just have so much more time, like with uh, with modern recording techniques. Of course, that was that that interview was recorded in two thousand nine, so it's ten years old. Um, but the point is, is you like a lot of jazz musicians today feel like they have to fill up all of that time. 72 minutes. Or right. Whatever it is. Well, what, yeah, whatever it is. And so it's like with this, it's like there's no basically there's no fat in this record. And it's like he's like how many times it's like he's like, you know, it'd be like 14 tracks on the album and like eight of them are, are really good. And then your audience teaches you over time that it's like they just skip over the stuff that they don't like mm-hmm. so anyway 
It's well, just he a, said, I think he said something like it, they spent two days recording this and then like two days later on, like coming in and filling in stuff or yep. something like that. Yeah. So four total days of. Yeah, it came out on August 17th, 1959. So. It's nuts. Almost so I, I don't, I don't mind that song. I mostly don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. In fact, I was researching Red Skelton because uh, I was correct about this. Wait, what? Uh, so look at the caption on this photo. Ah, that, well, that's a same I, I, period I, of time. Uh, yeah, I would assume that, uh, so it's a skeleton as Freddy the Freeloader. Why were um, you looking up Red Skeleton? Because somewhere in my head, I knew that he had a character called Freddy the Freeloader, and I was just wondering if it was, like, named from this. And I would say probably so. Well, and this, uh, this same uh, session musician that I was talking about earlier was talking about, uh, I guess, being in New York. Marcus Miller was talking about being in New York, coming out of... Uh, the studio or a session or whatever, like years ago, and this guy walks up to him and he says, he says, uh, I'm Freddie. He says, Miles wrote a song about me. And oh, so it was an actual dude. Well, like this, this guy, this guy said it was, and he was like, oh, you're Freddie the Freeloader. And he, he goes, no, Freddie Freeloader. <laughs> like that was his. <laughs> <Not the freeloader. laughs> he did not be. Yeah. <laughs> so that, is like, that the jazz right. world's like, um, Apocryphal story that relates to like Anastasia Romanoff. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking it could Layla? be their uh, Derek and the Dominoes. No, I'm talking about know. like like uh, whatever. Like uh, Anastasia. Who's like the, the, like the? Oh, the you mean like the, oh like the one who supposedly escaped the execution, right? Yes. and showed up as an old woman saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. possibly. All right, who's got it? Thank you guys for listening. So I mentioned this. At some point during the time that we've done the four years that we've done this show, and I don't remember when the last time that I brought it up, but it also feels like appropriate that you got to like at least raise your hand. Um, you guys know who John Benjamin is? Mm. He's on uh, the dollar bill. Yes. Actor. Yes. Primarily he's a voice on the dollar actor. bill. Prim- yeah. Hundred dollar bill. Yeah. Primary, bill. Primarily a voice actor. He's on the Arby's ads if you're in the U.S. I think and he's a stand up. He, Archer. He is a, a stand up. And Bob's mm-hmm. Burgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was he's on the Dr. We Got the Meat. He was God. the he was the son on Doctor Katz, yeah. the slacker son on Doctor. He Katz. was the slacker son on Doctor Katz. He's done a lot oh, of yeah. a lot of voiceover work, but anyway, he's a very very funny guy. Um, a few years ago, he put out a jazz album, and he doesn't play piano, and so was he it like a Ken Nordine kind of thing. Um, not exactly. You know, Ken Nordine I think takes word jazz very seriously, but that's but, true. But John John Benjamin hired a bunch of actual uh, session players. And then he would play the piano poorly, and they would play <laughs> everything around him great. And then he put it out as a record. So Man, he was an absurdist com, and it's H. John Benjamin. Yeah, but, well, you know, not, um, you know. I see. I actually am seeing it both ways right now. Oh, but, okay. Um, well, I stand corrected. Well, uh, perhaps you're. Perhaps we're both right. Perhaps neither of us are. Um, but anyway, he said, "Here's a quote from him." Uh, well, I should have learned how to play piano. <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> in retrospect. That's anyway, the, that's to that the artist's notes home. on the jacket. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'll just I'll leave you with that, and then uh, and then we'll look forward to uh, Ryan's selection here coming up. Yes, I have this you week's got it new selection. What you got? Do uh, it. Tell us. Uh, I'm, I have recently discovered an excellent Irish band. Oh, the one that I was. Fontaine's DC. The one I kept the one to tell you about? Yeah, I got there first, <laughs> or on my own anyway. Uh, but they have a song called Boys in the Better Land. I, I like it a lot. 
You're not alive, boy, so you start kicking When the room is spinning and the words aren't sticking And the radio's on a better runaway model With a face like sin and a hat like a James Joyce novel Saying sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar Doesn't matter what you are, get yourself a good car Get out of here Well, put the boys in the better land You're always talking about the boys in the better land The boys in the better land Put the boys in the better land You're always talking about the boys in the better land I'm such an easy mark for that song. Yes, you are. <laughs> you, it, 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 it's like check off every box exactly what no, you man, like. If, if I'm like a power hitter, that is like straight down the middle fastball, like right in my sweet spot. It's uh, a fucking great song, man. Yeah, apparently like the rest of the record's really good too. Yeah, I've heard the rest yeah. of the record. I've seen a live video of them and I've and I've heard them live also. I I can't believe like for months I've been like Oh my God! Saving this up, like I guess it's because for several weeks I wasn't recording. Yeah, um, you weren't around for a little bit. Yeah, and uh, and I totally like forgot about that. But they are even better live, and like that record kind of strays all over the place too. There's some. It's an interesting record. Well, I'm reserving the right to maybe pick it at some point, but uh, anyway, I don't think it's going to be my next one. But yeah, that that one gets my blood going. I dig it. I think it's a blood. Go and get her. I don't know. At least on this side of the table. <laughs> I really like the um, brushed uh, snare. Oh, that yeah. Song. That was my favorite part of it. <laughs> yeah. it was it's just, very, very similar just, to just a, a, a nice mood, mood setter. Like yeah. if it's raining outside. I just thought, just yeah, like a incense. nice mist. The like piano the, really yeah. scoots on that tune, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I like that song. I think it's great. And, you know, just a you know fitting exclamation point. Yeah. Sure. So finally talk about something I know a little bit about. Well, um, so yeah, to, so <laughs> I don't think any of us knew anything about that last record for most of it. To the uh, next, do we want to tease what we're going to do next go round or um, let the audience uh, learn along with us? Well, I mean, we know that Labor Day is coming up. It's no secret there. Right. So we, so it's high time that we do another concept show. Um, there is there's talk of a Labor Day mixtape show where we'll uh, cover songs having to do with uh, work since it's labor babies, which I was or informed, birth, which makes yeah. complete sense or uh, or um, British or Parliament or British Parliament. Yeah, yeah, sure. Work, birth or British Parliament. Yeah. Birther. Yeah. Birther conspiracies. Yeah. Anyway, what, so I'm it, just going to go ahead right and up. pick out like random five minute segments of Alex Jones yelling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I think that's what I'll Perfect. bring in. I don't think. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be better than that. I told well, you I've waited on him recently, right? You did. It's I so think you surreal. said it like 20 times. Uh, it's super surreal. Anyway. All right. Tune in uh, next go round. Let's get out of here. Until then, I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. I'm Shane. This is Somebody Likes It.